Hello and welcome to the Surface Tension Podcast. My name is Alex. My co-host over here is Craig. We are going to be exploring deep questions and looking for deep answers to spiritual questions and questions about life in general. We're happy to have you here. And here we go. Welcome to our podcast today. And I know you're probably going to laugh at me because I'm going to reference a movie that was probably made before you were born. <laughs> Let's see if I know this one. Okay. Uh, the Last Samurai, Tom Cruise. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that right. was made when, I've, when I was- You were alive? Yeah, okay, come good. on. Right. How, how old see, do you think I am, I don't Craig? know, but I, I keep referencing that's, movies and people flattering. look at me with this blank look like, I don't know what you're talking about and come to find out it was made before they were born. So mm. anyhow- uh, spoiler alert, I'm going to kill the movie for you, but the samurai <laughs> dies dies at the end, this, this heroic death. And the emperor, in this very powerful moment at the end of the movie, says, tell me how he died. And the emperor is starting to get tears in his eyes because he was a friend of this samurai, and he wanted to know how he died. And lead lead actor Tom Cruise says, I will not tell you how he died. I will tell you how he lived. Mm. And I thought that was so powerful because the emperor wanted to learn something about his death, but Tom Cruise said, I want to, I want to paint this picture of how he lived his life with honor and with love and all of these things. And we've talked in our last episode about the people in our culture and the despondency and this question comes up in my mind. What, what, what if we stopped killing ourselves? What if, you know, I've heard recently there's a new trend as people talk about, and sorry for the heavy issue here, but no, it's important, important stuff. There's a new um, trend in reframing suicide and you can't say someone committed suicide anymore. It's not culturally, um, relationally sensitive. You have to say suicide happened to them as if it was unpreventable and obvious outcome, a result of this. And it, it broke my heart when right. I heard that. The society's reframed this. They've committed something. They've done this. They made this choice to, they had no choice in the matter. It just happened upon them. And okay, people might be killing themselves physically. We have to explore that, but people can also be killing themselves emotionally. Well, that death happens before the physical death, right? Yes. Um, yeah, such a heavy subject. I, I was talking to a dude at the gym the other day, and this just popped into my head. Very successful guy, millions of followers on Instagram. And... He was talking about how he's going to write a book and how he had this grand uh, ideology of how to get things done. And it was so moronic. It was, it went little farther than Hakuna Matata. And I just looked at this dude. I'm like, I can't believe you have the level of influence that you do. I said, wasn't well, it tough? Cause like people are going through a lot. You've got a lot of young people and just plenty of people taking their own lives. And he says, well, I don't know any of them. And it's like, just be stronger. And I'm like, 
oh, dude, you're a piece of garbage. Um, you're unable to see the the pain that so many are experiencing right now. And to reference the end of our last episode, if you haven't listened to it, that's a good one to key in on. Um, young people are really struggling. And you and I were talking about this before we recorded that 16 to 25 year olds now are contemplating existence itself and taking their own lives at 16. That was not my operating system. How were you, how were you functioning during those years? I was, uh, you know, breaking the law and drinking beers (laughs) Um, I was driving my car, not with the beers at the same time. I was actually pretty responsible about that. I was playing sports. I was chasing girls. I had no sense of anything happening uh, politically. I didn't focus on economics. I focused on my friends. I focused on the things going on around me. And there there was an attachment to the present moment that seemed to escape when I got older. And I think that's a product of growing up, but I also think it's a product of the way we're bombarded with information and technology now, because that just didn't exist. My, my first phone was a flip phone. I didn't get a smartphone until, uh, until I was almost done with college. And that was amazing. It's funny. I actually told, uh, I told a young gal that the other day she's in her like mid twenties and she's like, what was it even like to not have a smartphone? Yeah. I envy you so much. Hmm. And that broke my heart hmm. hearing that, that it wasn't like she meant it. She meant it. She knew how destructive uh, it was. She knew how it affected her, but she couldn't, you know, it, it's the phone is the, the phone, the computer, the, iPad, whatever it is, it's the drug that nobody is quitting. And it's now just such an acceptable part of our culture that has disastrous consequences. I mean, social media is a weapon of mass destruction and it is also normalized suicide. I don't remember talking about suicide or having it mentioned or hearing about it nearly as much, but then you have movies like Bird Box. uh, That's a couple years ago on Netflix where, you know, the entire movie is about suicide and it's culturally perverse. And I don't know why it's perpetuated. Um, well, I do. It's because the people who are making media and running the show hate us. Uh, and this is all a big joke to some people. Mm. It is. They don't, they either don't understand it or they think it's, yeah. or they think it's funny. And I, that, that, um, bothers me immensely. So I have questions popping up in my head because I, as you were describing you being younger, I, I, I wrote down, um, present cause it's, and it's exactly what you said. You were, you were just present. You were present with the moment. Mm-hmm. And so what, if someone is in this despondency, this hollowness of heart, soul, whatever it may be, however you, emptiness you describe it, what moment are they probably in? If they're not in the present if they're not experiencing the present where are they what moment are they experiencing it might that it might be that they're still in the present but they're not physically their mentality and their mind is not where their body is their mind is elsewhere it's always on something else something bigger somebody else it's you know everybody and their mother is talking about ukraine and russia right now where 
I'm like, I don't care. It doesn't, it's so far removed from my reality. And people are like, oh, how could you say that? And it's like, no, this is how I've trained myself to think because I couldn't do what you're doing. I got so exhausted by following along with the new language we're supposed to use, the new things that we're supposed to feel good about or bad about, the new uh, cultural norms that are being established. I got so exhausted by it that uh, I still key into it because I'm fascinated by it, but I don't emotionally attach myself in the way that I used to because it was exhausting and I found that it was driving me mad. Well, and maybe as a clarifier, you, you care for the people and what's going on, but you don't care for the foolishness of the manipulation from media or politician? Not necessarily. I have a limited number of Fs to give, um, or you could call it a, like a compassion threshold that once I, once I reach it, I'm, I'm burned out and I'm, I would much rather use my time, my energy, my compassion for the people with whom I interact physically than people that I don't know. There will be people that can care for the people who are hurting in other regions of the world. And I don't have to set, I can think about it briefly and say, oh, that's, that's rough that those people are experiencing it, but I don't know what they're actually going through. I don't know what's actually happening over there. Hmm. I can't expect that I would get reliable information from, you know, the sources that are presented to me sure. and yeah, call, call it uh dismissive, call it, uh, I don't know, just detached to not care so much about the people, but I just don't think about it because if I followed the, if I followed the spotlight onto whatever issue du jour happened, you know, whatever's on the menu of today, then I'm never really, I'm never really present. And I know what, what it was like to live like that. And I can still get into that space where I'm just like all of a sudden thinking about things and all of a sudden uh, dishes are piling up in my, uh, in my sink and I need to do laundry and I'm noticing that things are just kind of in my immediate environment are starting to fall apart a little bit because I'm so focused on things going on hmm. uh, elsewhere. And then, yeah. I'm, and then that's a wake up call. Hmm. Maybe I want to do a hard shift because we started this off a little bit dark. What if we stop killing ourselves? And maybe the better question would be, what if we start truly living? And yes, maybe that's what's worthy of our time and exploration. That if the what what are the keys to truly living, and how how does that involve uh, a love and compassion that doesn't have a limit? And here's where I'm going to tie that back into young people. How do you communicate uh, to young people that if they were to live the way they, they wanted, how do they achieve it? It's not just like, can you imagine what the life worth living is? It's well, how, Is that achievable? Because that's another element to it where I'll give you a, a personalized example. I look at the life that my parents lived. My dad had two or three cars at like age 24, uh, had his own house, it could take vacations. That's like not really uh, economically in the wheelhouse of most young people. Right. You know, the quote unquote American dream seems less and less accessible. And that's mainly economic in 
uh, in its roots. People don't talk about that, how uh, economic uh, forces have a stranglehold on people's spiritual elevation. If I don't believe that I can reach meaningful life milestones mm. and attach um, my spiritual, my spiritual life is going to be uh, present the whole time, no matter where I'm at. Right. But I think a lot of people were sold the promise. This is something that you say, like in terms of the promise, people were sold the promise of kind of living the the way that maybe their folks did and then it's not there it doesn't seem like it's there it doesn't seem like it's attainable so we're not only just changing what would it look like to live but it's changing the how to live yeah. and it doesn't look as appealing as it did for maybe our parents and that's upsetting in some in some ways am i am i just kind of all over the place with no. this or what do you think what i hear is we are trying to define what is truly living look like. Yeah. Because there's ideas we have in our head. Oh, it kind of reminds me of uh, when I was younger. <laughs> um, elementary school, junior high, I got my picture of love, not necessarily from my family, but from movies. <laughs> of course. <laughs> That's what love should look like. <gasps> of oh, course. My word. And it was wonderfully attractive. And I'm like, that's fantastic. Sign me up. Where can I find that? Right. And now we just change the subject and we call it the American dream of this is what truly living is. It's the, the house and it's these things that are going to make for a, a a life that's going to make you feel full, a flourishing life. And you know, as well as I do that those promises won't come to fruition. Well, the, those, those items, the house, the cars, that's, that's not the goal. That's, that's part of carving out, uh, whatever it is feeling like what goes along with having that success is probably feeling connected, feeling like you matter, feeling part of a community, feeling, uh, like you're moving in a direction, uh, like there are milestones worth achieving in the world. And um, Dennis the Menace had this funny, I don't know, you again, an old reference, forgive me. Are you talking, are you talking about the cartoon? The, oh, cartoon the, okay. So I, I've seen, I've seen the movie. Uh, <laughs> there's a movie. Yeah. Oh, it's oh, great. He, there's this one cartoon and he was sharing with his friend, this great insight he had. He said, you know, people say money can't buy happiness. Apparently they're right. Cause Money buys things and things make you happy. And it kind of plays into this. But what a great tongue-in-cheek way of just saying, all right, really? Money can't buy it. Well, and even the things can't provide that. Um, so getting back to this truly living, if you think of a person, sometimes we think about propositions, statements, okay, truly living is belonging or feeling peace or joy or whatever it is. That's that's one way of going about identifying what the truly living might look like. But if you were asked a question without names, present company excluded, if I were to say, who who is truly living around you? Who is truly living a, a life that you go, oh, oh, that's that's something that I would like to move towards. 
It's a short list. Yeah. It's a short list. Um, yeah, this, this goes back to the quote that I shared with you last week. Did we ever figure out whether it was Thoreau or Emerson that most men uh, lead lives of quiet desperation? Regardless of the author, it's a great quote. Yes. Well, it's one of the two. The American transcendentalists, they had a lot of yep. amazing things to yep. say. So, Truly living. Yeah. So even the person that you think might be truly living might have a behind the scenes that is just right. so, so rough. Yes. And so we talk about youth today and this, what are we going to do? What can we do? Um, to me, one of the best things we can possibly do is be an example of truly living, an authentic version of this is what life really looks like. This is what, I had a pastor friend, um, he was up in Thousand Oaks, and people would say, hey, how are you doing? How are you doing? And he'd say, mostly well. And I just, I, I love the authenticity of that. It's That's not solid. And I'm not going to say, oh, things are fantastic. Okay. Things are horrible. Both of those are probably inaccurate. Mostly well, it just creates such good space for saying, you know what? The most important things are good and in the right place, in the right. And there are always curveballs. We are always going to have curveballs with the ones we love, with the people who are out in the world that we encounter, with circumstances. Okay, so true true living doesn't mean avoiding those or escaping all of those curveballs. It means living a, a different way with those curveballs. If we're gonna bring it back to our boy JC. Yes. How would he define truly living? Because he didn't have the cars. Yes. He didn't have the you know, the house. He also wasn't uh Flying to Bali and going on a surf trip and having mojitos or Mai Tais, whatever his uh, poison of choice. Yep. He wouldn't have done that anyway. But um, you get what I'm saying. What if, if we're defining what is to truly live? Well, I think it's, I, I love the space that's created by that, right? If we look at Jesus as, as the one who's saying what, and you ask the question, what would he say? I don't think he would say anything. He would just say, walk with me, be with me. I want you not to hear, you know, it's like, what does a strawberry taste like? It's like, well, that's really hard to explain. How, how did Jesus exemplify truly living? I think if we saw him and see him, we would see him moving through life with lightness and joy yes. and peace and truth and a stability and a security that no one else around had. And I think that's why he was so captivating. Crowds came to him. Mm -hmm. Rulers wanted a, a court with him. The Pharisees wanted to figure him out and then dismiss him because they knew he had something. He had life. And the Bible says he is life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You want to know what true living is? Just look to me. Right. That's a different way. And I think sometimes we can do ourselves a disservice if we start uh, making a list of true living is this and this and this and this. Yeah. Instead of here's a portrait of, of true. This is what it feels like. This is what it tastes like. This is what 
it, the experience of truly living um, is. And I agree with you. I don't know if there are enough people that are doing that, myself included. I think we all need to move towards that, which begs the question, how do we truly live? If if that's the goal, if we realize that people are are killing themselves, either metaphorically or actually, and and the the best way to combat that is to truly live and show the world around us that there's a different way of moving and being in this world. How do we do that? Well, this goes back to things things you've mentioned before. Jesus noticed people in a really uh, profound way. And this actually came up uh, in my small group Bible study where we were talking about other people's kids. If you saw a kid who was either struggling or maybe doing well, like, do we take any time to connect with kids mm. at all mm. or do we just expect them to be okay or that their you know their parents will have everything dialed in or uh, their coaches or their teachers like where where is our ability to be present ourselves and then notice somebody who's maybe not present and then how do we connect with them in a way that is meaningful in the moment where they see that conversation brought me out of my head and into a space worth occupying. Yes. Very good. And like, how do we do that? People, it was so funny. So my, my brother and his wife, highly successful people, they live in Marin County and they bought a house a couple, uh, a couple years ago. And I was chatting with them. This was during lockdowns and shutdowns and everything. And they mentioned the neighbor kids in their neighborhood and like, yeah, we just like, don't know what to say to them. Like, we don't know how to communicate with them. And this is before they had uh, their their daughter. And I was like, listen here, you dopes. <laughs> like, say hello to them. Ask them what they're interested in. Ask them how things are going. Mm. Do anything. Yeah. Because think about in the past two years, the days or times you felt sorry for yourself and saying, oh, I'm really going through it. Now put that in put that set of emotions into a child where you don't have the ability to articulate how miserable you're feeling. So where the heck have we been when it comes to connecting with everybody, yes. when it comes to not just our peers, but the young, the right. old, right. when was the last time you stopped and just talked with somebody who was a senior and, right. and just said like, could you tell me a story? Yeah. Like, you probably have a lot of good stories, old man. You don't call, call him old man. Maybe you do. <laughs> hey, pops. Um, I don't know, Craig. What do you think? I, I think the train you're on is really healthy and good. And 
if if I'm listening to that, my mind immediately went to a mechanical way of trying to not be a dope anymore because I'm a lot like your sister, brother. I I don't necessarily know how to be relationally in the world sometimes, and so hmm. I'm that that dope. And if you tell me how to be relationally in this world, then it's going to feel very mechanical. It's going to be very wonky. Um, Interesting. But as you were talking about the children, what triggered from my mind was this the experience Jesus had with the children, right? Because children ran up to Jesus and sat in his lap, right? Mm-hmm. And the disciples are like, no, 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 kids, 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 no, 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 get away. Do you know how important this guy is, right? They're trying to keep people away from the rabbi. And Jesus is like, no, 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 let them come. And he took them on their lap. And he held them and he blessed them. Now, in the Old Testament, the word for blessing doesn't mean just well-wishing. It's not just, hey, I hope you have a great day. Here's a lollipop. It, uh, the word for blessing is um, this favorable future that I'm going to be committed towards actually seeing it come about. I'm going to see that actually happening. The, the patriarchal blessings in the Old Testament wasn't just a passing of the baton saying, here you go, son, you get the money and, uh, you know, do well. It was, as long as I am here, I'm going to do everything I can to make this blessing come about. I think that's fantastic because Jesus welcomed them. And as you were talking, Alex, you know what picture I had in my mind? I bet you're going to tell me. I wonder with Alex's, what, six foot four frame? Yeah. 195? What do you got? 215. 215. It's all muscle. So that's that's the hard part. It's, it's, all, no. it's all muscle. It's all cheeseburgers and what, fruit mentos. What would, what would Alex look like on Jesus's lap? You know, I'm kind of picturing this, you know, it's almost like the adult sitting on the little Santa Claus at Christmas. Sure. But on Jesus's lap where he says, Alex, come here. I want you to sit here. That would make me uncomfortable to sit on a dude's lap. Yes. Okay. Well, let's get past that part. That's you know smart. Okay, let's just, just stay stay with it. For yeah. A yeah. So, sorry, Craig. Sorry if I <laughs> yeah. if I ruined that. Um. Um. Put me in in child mode because we're called to be childlike. Yeah. Yeah. That that sounds like a place that I could access better. Yeah. Would I want to hang out with Jesus? How would I know that? He was somebody that, without saying a word, how would I know that this dude just flat out got it? He was a guy worth spending time with. He knew everything there was to know about basketball and uh, chocolate chip cookies and a whole lot of other stuff. Like, hey, can I just like hang out? Yeah. Yeah. Which is nice. And that's, that's a great picture, but it's also a very safe picture. Hanging out with Jesus is very different than, okay, let's, all right, all right, let's not have the adult Alex sit on Jesus's lap. Let's have Jesus stand up and let's just have him put his arms out and say, can I just hold you? Yeah. Can I give you a, can I can hold I, you? Can I give not you a hug? hug not, not, not a side hug, not a one arm, not a pat you on the back three times hug. What about a two arm I want I want to hold you. How about, you know, they say in attachment theory, I know you've done a lot of research that, a 10-second hug is, is important to help someone understand how 
valuable they are, how loved they are. Mm. Okay, so Jesus is giving you a 10-second hug. What's communicated? What do you experience? What do you receive during that 10 seconds? Have you ever given a 10-second hug? I have. What did the other person do? Well, I started on my dog because, you know, I want to start slow. Yeah. uh, That didn't go well. You know, the dog didn't really enjoy that. Mm. It it depends. It depends on the time. Mm -hmm. Because if it's um, through the routine portion of a day, it's like, okay, that was, you know, Little, little weird. If it's someone who have just shared something powerful, meaningful, hurtful, mm-hmm. it's like a glass of cold water. I love adding that extra context to the to the example to the question. Okay. Say, what if you really just opened up and said, "This is exactly what I feel. This is yep. what's going on with me." Yes, and then you got a quiet, yes, ten second hug that communicated everything that you, uh, that you needed. And then like a whole lot more that you weren't ready for. Yeah. I've given people hugs and I'm, I'd like to think that I know when to give a long hug. And it's interesting because people will pull back reflexively because they're not used to like, what is this? Because most people are operating by rote they're they know the what's socially acceptable what you do this is the bro hug this is the hug your mother this is the handshake to your father or the quick hug of your father but then you rewrite the script a little bit and you hang on for longer and that's just somebody knows in that moment like wait a second like what you're doing is not mechanical. Mm-hmm. You're totally in this moment mm-hmm. and you're telling me more than anybody maybe has told me with a hug in recent history or maybe ever. So like what the heck is going on with this? Yeah. It, it would cause a person to just stop Yes. and just be there in that hug and say, Whoa, this is so different. This is so different. And if someone said to Jesus in that moment, hey, this is a little uncomfortable, how do you think he would respond? Do you think he would, uh, you think he'd let go? You think he'd maybe take a step back and leave a hand on the shoulder and say, I was so happy that, you know, that we just got to connect. You know, I, I think he always meets us where we're at and we will push away from the hug, but that doesn't mean he's not going to try and give us a, a hug the next time. And maybe we get a little bit more comfortable with it and say, this actually, this is nice. And this is what I needed. Receiving love. If you haven't received it and it hasn't felt good, maybe you need some time to warm up to it. Even if it is from. Jesus himself. And is that okay to say that like that we need to be okay with other people reaching out to us when we're feeling disconnected? Cause I know I push people away when I'm in my own little world and I'm not super present. It's tough to let other people in. 
I know I would push away from a mechanical hug, and I know I would be uncomfortable in a Jesus 10-second hug. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if he would let us go to our place of comfort because I think he might love us enough to say, I want to love you through your discomfort in this moment because there's different message that's going to come to me after a second. A second is like, oh, we're hugging. Okay. Second number two is like, oh, okay, this is nice. Second number three is, okay, we're done. The messages that can come when someone still holds on to you through your discomfort can be messages that our soul needs to hear. You you belong mm. here. This is this is your home. These these arms that are holding you are n- never going to let you go. You can pull back from them. I'm not going to let you go. Mm. And we talk about true living. My guess is, if we were asked at the end of the day, hey, what was the highlight of your day? I'm going to guess is Jesus gave me a 10-second hug. And in fact, I doubled down. I said, how, how, about, ten, how about 10 more? Mm. And out of that sense of being loved and belonging, I moved through my day differently today than I did yesterday. How can we give that hug to people, whether it's physical or not? Sometimes the best we can do, um, maybe you see somebody you don't know exceptionally well and maybe giving them a big embrace in a moment wouldn't be what they could really um, receive. So what is what is our hug to somebody who's just feeling super scattered, not present and not really living. What does that look like? How can we bring that gift to other people? Cause we know how good it feels. We can internalize that, but somebody who hasn't felt that in a long time, no matter who they are. uh, And it's tough. Our culture is totally poisoned um, adults against children, children against adults. They've cast away senior citizens. They've, they've fractured so many people and atomized and, and connection is, it's so important and we can, we can start reconnecting today one person at a time. You know, that's it. There, there are some questions that are good enough that we just leave. And that one is one that we are just going to leave. What does that look like? If we've experienced that from Jesus, and we're going to share that with our people around us, whether it's the despondent youth of today, or the middle-aged man that's in the same hollow place, or the old person that's scratching their head at the end of their life saying, what was it all for? It all feels empty and meaningless. How does God want to use us to bring a 10-second hug to them, helping to communicate to them a different sense of, different message? than maybe the one they have in their own heart and life. I would love for that question to linger in our minds for the very rest of the day. Thanks for joining our podcast. Hope you were inspired and encouraged. Hold on to that question. Keep your eyes open. Have a great day.